Hello, everybody. It's, do you know, I don't, I don't believe I should be introducing this one, no. Claire, should I? This is Claire's podcast. It's Talking Flutes. I'm going to hand you over to Claire. Hello, this is Talking Flutes with me, Claire Southworth, and my partner in crime, John Paul Wright. Hello, John Paul. Hello, Claire, and apologies for jumping in too early. <laughs> That's fine, I'll forgive you. Um, <laughs> it's been a long time, hasn't it? When it, did we last get together? Oh, I honestly can't remember. But it's, it's always good when we get together here in Hove because the chat seems to flow much more easily than if we're on a Zoom call. It's because you're feeding me coffee all the time. Yeah, yeah, keep you awake. We've got various questions that have been sent in. We love the questions, people, so keep sending them in. We, we, we love going through them and, and trying to find answers for you. Do you get the impression that most of them come from America or north of England? I don't know. Well, at least the ones we're going to talk about today... Uh, I don't know where they've come from. You haven't told me. Oh, the first one? Yes, it says North of England in the title, so... Oh, so it does, yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rarely that I'm right on things. You read out the question then, JP. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Right. I am a flute teacher working in three private schools in the North of England, and I'm thinking about opening up my own private teaching practice. Where do I start? Claire. Right. Well, firstly, being self-employed, it's such a precarious business. It's, I would say, it's both liberating and distressing. Um, <laughs> you have to be so organised, because it's your business. All the decisions are down to you. And there are so many variables, aren't there? So students and parents are notoriously unreliable. Yeah. And it's a case of un they need to understand that they're in entering into a business arrangement with you. They can't just call you up you know, before they're meant to arrive and say they're not coming. So you have to make a plan. You have to think about maybe think about contracts, cancellation within 24 hours to be paid for, uh, lessons to be brought bought in prepaid blocks. Uh, maybe um, I, this... this um, I didn't, I must say, I didn't do this when I talked about what I did when I was just starting out soon, but I've recently started to do some keep fit with personal trainer and a bit of yoga. And on both those classes, you can't pay individually for a lesson. You pay in blocks, prepaid blocks. And as you, the reduction of the price comes as you increase the blocks... So one lesson is price X, five lessons has a reduction of 5%, 10 lessons a reduction of 10%, and so on. And I don't see why you can't bring that into your own business plan. So we're talking about having a business plan, get something made up. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be really quite simple. Just something that they sign so they understand that they are paying for a service. You're not doing it for fun. You've got bills to pay, you know, you're, this is your livelihood. It's got to be taken seriously by the people who are coming to have the lessons with you. So where would you start? So you've made this decision. I teach in these schools. So technically, you have this little database of people that you know. Mm -hmm. You then look at your house and say, OK, I can use this room. And then what? How would you actually start putting the word out? OK, so... It's all to do with contacts, isn't it? So yeah. you contact all your local music shops, music colleges, schools, 
main flute shops because they have recommended teacher lists. So depending on where you're, you know, where you're based. So north of, north of England, you've got the, the Royal Northern College of Music, the Leeds College of Music, and the universities, the big universities there. Start with them and get in touch with the, the music departments and if it's the, the, the music colleges to the woodwind departments and their secretaries. And they've got lists of recommended teachers. So first of all, you can get your name put on the lists. Then luckily now, unlike when I was first starting out, you've got social media. So you can, you can sort of advertise yourself on social media. You know, there are so many platforms you can use. And it's really getting your name out there. Do you think, sorry, do you think you have to get to the parents rather than the students? Well, yes. So um, if you were going to get in touch with schools, then you'd, you'd get in touch with, that would be putting your name in touch with the, sure. with the parents. Oh, absolutely. But it's a case of you, you put out so many feelers that something mm -hmm. will bite and then you'll, you'll start to build up. You have to build up a practice. You can't just suddenly create a private practice. And when you, you may, maybe when you first start, you sort of have to accept everybody because you haven't got the choice of, of who you pick. And then every sort of, maybe every year, you have to look into who you have, maybe who's on a waiting list, and you might sort of lose some of your less interesting students I'd say that carefully, in order to get other students in. It depends on what sort of students you want to teach, because obviously you're going to get everyone from, from absolute beginners to or more serious to adults taking up a hobby when they've retired. So you have to think about where you want to uh, focus your attention. At the beginning, you have to focus your attention in a wider fashion and understand who you want to teach and at what level you want to teach, and then maybe you can be a bit more discerning. Mm -hmm. I spoke to a couple of people on socials last week which who I know have private practices. One of them only took the leap. They're in part of one of these social choirs, you know, these towns that have choirs full of amateur people come along and just sing for the joy of singing. And she was in, it was in a discussion over coffee and in the, in the interval saying she's thinking about starting a private practice and this other lady said oh I used to play the flute a long time ago oh, I'd be really interested a few weeks later she started with lessons and then that lady then told somebody else who she knew that also used to play and within sort of three or four months this lady had six students older students who she was restarting and another person, again, it was started at school gates. That's the one time in your life, isn't it? I don't know if you know, if you remember that, Claire, when your social circle suddenly explodes. It does, absolutely. <laughs> explodes. And this lady was saying that as a school gates, they said, well, what do you do? I'm a, I play the flute, I, I teach flute, and I've got a small practice that I'm just sort of opening. And then within three, two or three months, parents from the school gates were sending their daughters to this woman. And then it grew into something bigger, and that she now has 20-odd people. And, but it just came from two little conversations. Yeah. Word but, of mouth is, is, you know, incredibly important. Yeah, and that neither of them were expecting that. Mm. But we can't deny the fact that there is a lot of people that used to play the flute there, mm. that probably millions around the world that used to play the flute and don't now, 
there is a market there. You need to try and find it. You have to find it. But also, for this, this person who's, who wants to start up in the north of England, they need to work out how much they need to earn mm. to live. Yeah. You know, how much do you need to pay your bills and you know, buy your food and everything? And then it helps you with your plan. Yeah. You've got to be so organised. You can't just be flippant about it. It's, it's something that can fall apart so quickly. I mean, I remember in, in Manchester when I first started my teaching practice, I remember when the weather was bad in the winter, I'd suddenly lose a whole day's pay because the students couldn't get to me. Mm. And I didn't, have, I didn't have contracts. It was just sort of, they just ring me up and say, I can't get there. And I say, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then you're suddenly thinking, don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. Yeah. You've got to have your business head on and, as I said, create a plan, make up contracts. As I said, it doesn't have to be complicated, just simple that, you know, it, that if someone buys a block of five lessons and if you need to cancel, let me know within 24 hours before mm-hmm. or you have to pay. It's absolutely reasonable. Everybody else does it in any, any other walk of life. So let's look at business head. Because that's an interesting one, isn't it? As you, you've said in a previous podcast how, as a musician, you are your own company because you have you sort of so many arms, so many tentacles. Yeah. As a teacher, you've almost got more mm-hmm. because you, you're not only as a, a player, but then as a teacher, you've, you've got to have this business head on that has to be aware that there's also potential tax ramifications. You know, you have to keep good books. Yeah. You have to write down what you're earning mm. um, because the banks will, certainly in the UK, if you start having a regular income coming in and there's lots of positive uh, credits going into your account, then sometimes HMRC, which is our tax office, can get in touch and to want to know where this extra income is coming because that is taxable, isn't it? Absolutely. Nowadays, people pay electronically. Yeah. In, in my day, it was always sort of cash, cash in hand or a cheque. And you could lose that, yes. Yeah, so you've you got to be ever so careful. But I remember that I didn't have spare money. Whatever money I earned mm. went out straight away. So it was, always, it was quite simple. But that can't happen now, though, can it? No, no. Now, now presumably, they pay um, very, very few people pay by cash now. Yeah. So it's electronically done. But you've got to keep accounts. And not only accounts of what money comes in, but as to what money it's costing you to yep. create the service. So gas, electricity, phone bills, all this is an, an equipment. So, you know, you've got, you're setting up a room within your property as a, as a teaching studio. What, what have you had to buy to help create that studio? And there's tax, you can offset that against tax offset as well. It's all against tax. You know, you're not always that fortunate to have a studio. I mean, when I started, I had to teach in my bedroom because mm. I was in a shared house, and it it wasn't ideal, no, but it was the only only place I had, and the price sort of reflects that as well. And then as you build up and you get more students and you're getting more of reputation and you you move into a bigger property, you you've got more space uh, and a, a separate area to teach in, and then your prices can go up accordingly. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Price. I don't think we'll cover that because it's a really, really hard one because the price is... We we, we did a, that podcast a few weeks ago where we were talking about the not doing 
anything for free. And the reasons why is you're undervaluing yourself. And that the biggest joke was that if you had five plumbers in the band and they came and did a performed in a in your at, a, at your party, that the cost of the five plumbers would be more than the whole party. Yeah. You should never undersell yourself and your experience and your knowledge. However, the caveat I would put in would be to over potentially overprice yourself according to the market you're in, which is in the area you're in. In other words, what is actually affordable? Because you can price yourself up at a certain point and say, I'm worthy of that. And that's great. I think that's important. But if the area around you, the parents of the students or the older people, if you're going to get them to come back, if it's beyond their means on a regular basis, then you're actually doing yourself out of an income. Now, it's a really fine balancing act, I believe. certainly is. But because of the internet, you can Google what everybody else is charging. Yeah. You can look at, you know, who's doing guitar lessons, piano lessons, ballet yeah. lessons. It doesn't have to just be mm -hmm. music. But look at creative classes and how much they're charging. And you could also offer group lessons. It doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. have to be yeah. private lessons. And certainly, so if you're... If you're we used to find most of the teaching was going to become after school hours or at the weekends. Maybe at, a, at the weekends you could set up some sort of class where everyone has a reduced fee, but you know, you're rewarded for that time that you're, you're giving. And then you can start up all sorts of music ensembles, flute choirs, flute groups. There's all sorts of, of variables you can, you can bring into your teaching. Well, that's taken the teaching in a, a, a really attractive area because instead of the one-on-one, -on -one, which there's a lot of pressure on the teacher but also on the student because if you've had a busy week at work or you haven't been well or whatever and you haven't done necessarily the homework, the practice, then you're going to go the next week and there is this sort of, I still remember it from when I was at school, the, the dreaded, oh, I haven't done any work. The group practice to a degree, takes away or reduces that, oh, it's a lesson, into this more or potentially more enjoyable situation, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. More relaxed, you learn more, and it's, yeah, the, it, it, you, there's not the fear factor often. And do you think, in your experience, when you've taught groups, that the enjoyment is greater, but you think that the progress could be greater because they're actually using their ears. Yeah, you learn more. Yeah. You always learn more in a, in a group situation because you're hearing things. When you're listening to other people, you learn through them. That's the, the art of, of masterclasses and going to summer mm. schools is that as a listener, you learn far more than as the performer because often as the performer, you're, you're sort of nervous and... and, and you don't take everything in, but as the listener, you're nice and relaxed, make notes, and you can take everything in. So technically, and I'm just talking hypothetically here, your income could be greater if you are teaching groups because be. you yes. would charge less per person. Yes. And those that were really interested in improving quicker or having more, gaining more knowledge would also come for individual lessons. Yep. And you don't need to do a group lesson every week. You could maybe do a group lesson, say, every month. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't have to be week on week. You're the boss. You know, you're, you're, the, you're the one who's in charge and you change and adapt according to the needs of, of the students that you have. So it might not be something you can do at the beginning, but it's something you can introduce. 
uh, same with introducing concerts for the parents and friends as well. Yeah, my daughter used to that with her singing lessons. Every term there would be a small concert, a concert of all these students. Yeah. I think when you make music together, there is something very different in that than in just going for a private lesson. Yeah. You know, so if you're in a group where you've, you're learning and then maybe you finish with a, a little on, some ensemble playing or group playing, it's so much more enjoyable. Are we missing a trick here then in not teaching? Because I know they do in France. They have a lot of group classes, don't they? Yeah. Are we missing this sort of trick, what, well, the, the local teachers? Sort of... I, I think it's, it's, it's up to each individual. It depends. Again, we're talking about, you know, where do you teach? Have you got the room? Have you got a problem with, with yeah. the noise of affecting neighbours? Well, that's another one, isn't it? Yeah. If you've got neighbours and your walls aren't that thick, yep. it's the hours that, that you can actually mm -hmm. teach. But, you know, what might be quite nice is if you could hire a, the local village hall or church yeah. hall, sometimes for free, and that gives an added excitement to your students because they go, they're not coming to your house for their lesson, they go once a month to the, yeah. to the hall to, to meet lots of other like-minded people and playing in ensembles and having a mini masterclass. So bearing in mind how the world has changed since we were growing up and with the, the access that everybody has now to social media, to fast social media and to the web, do you think teaching needs to adapt as well? I think you're one of your doggies wants to go out. He does. I'll, okay, I'll carry on talking. You carry on talking. <laughs> yeah, with the... If you look at TikTok and you look at YouTube shorts and you look at fast, fast videos, a lot of people are getting their information from that. Do we think, or do you think, that teaching of an old, such an old instrument as the flute should also evolve so that there, we, there is this capture from multiple angles rather than just this rigid... You need to do scales, your studies. Oh, well, that's something different now you're talking about. It is, yeah. I, I, I was just, I was you just, just wandered there. I wandered. <laughs> <laughs> just enable you to put your dog okay. out. No, I, so, I, I agree that we need to investigate all ways of getting our message across. Yeah. Using, you know, whatever on Zoom or using groups mm -hmm. or, or whatever. What you do in that lesson is something completely different. And that's tailored to the person that you're teaching, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, sorry I wandered off completely off piece there. And that is a dangerous area to go because I'm certainly of the generation where we have to embrace all these new facets. Yeah. And in years to come, I don't believe AI, again, we're going to go off on one here, but I use AI a lot, but I don't believe AI will be able to teach you how to play an instrument because unless you can actually program in a motion, then you'd end up with a very robot, robotic performance. Yeah. But there's so many areas that, and this world is so fast moving, certainly musically, that as a teacher, I think you need to be up with, certainly if you're opening your own studio with trends, mm. who's on, you know, who is doing what, on, certainly with flute playing. Yeah. And there's so many different sort of areas that are, that are out there. In addition to that, I think that uh, from my point of view, I really think teachers should teach all music, not just... You've always been passionate about that, haven't music. you? music, yeah. And do you think that, when you're setting up your studio, this person in the north of England, I haven't put the name down, I do apologise, 
Do you think that is the key to keeping the young ones engaged? I think so. I think I really think so. Um, you know, if I, I remember going into, used to go into lots of schools to do sort of presentations. And um, when it was classical, they were sort of interested but not really excited. Mm -hmm. But if you went in and, and started playing whatever was top of the pops of that yeah. time, they, with screams of delight, yeah. you know, saying, oh, yeah, that's whatever it is. They're expecting something different, but they, they get something. They're, they're surprised by the diversity of music and that you might look like you're a formal group, but actually, no, you can play all sorts of, all sorts of things. And I think kids' ears should be open to all sorts of music. So opening a private practice in the north of England or anywhere where you're going to be doing it, yeah, the fundamentals are critical because you never know which student is really going to fly. But the varied nature of the stuff that you're teaching would be the hook both for young and old to keep them yep. motivated and to keep coming back. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many pieces of music you can buy now that have backing tracks that mean that you're not just on your own playing on your own with your teacher, you're there playing with a... You can have a big band yeah. behind you. There's, there are so many opportunities now to play wonderful music. Do you remember Music Minus One? Of course I do. It's the, one of the first ones I bought. Oh, yeah, but could you ever get in tune with it? Uh, because um, it was an it was a, an old-fashioned LP. It was an LP on a, on a, yeah, on a turntable. I could never... The get... only thing I remember, it, they were always too slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I could never pitch down. I was, I was pulled right out. I could never get in tune. But I don't remember struggling to play in tune. I just remember. Yeah, that but you're a real flute I player. I wanted everyone to play it a bit faster. <laughs> there were. I think it was a German orchestra, and it was a very slow German orchestra. Ah. <laughs> but it, what, what a great concept! Oh, absolutely. Even back then. But there just weren't enough of them. And, and now, of course, you can. They're all over the place. Yeah, you can just download them. Download them. Right, Claire. Thank you. Shall we move on to the next question? Yeah. Right. It is... Oh, this is an interesting one. I, I have very limited means as a student. Do you buy an expensive flute? Or is it possible to be a very good flutist... So, ah, flutist, so it must come from America. On the flute I am currently playing. It's a second-hand silverhead Miyazawa. Well, that's a good flute in itself, isn't it? Yeah, so the simple answer is no. <laughs> you know, a silverhead Miyazawa is a great flute. It is, absolutely. Um, I, I think we are all influenced by the people around us and there's always going to be someone that has got a so-called better flute than you and someone's got a so-called worse flute than mm. you development's all about the player not the instrument as long, long as the instrument works the pads are good they're not leaking then you're going to be fine you can still develop of course better instrument will help but if you don't have the means to buy it then you have to make the most of what you yeah. what you have Second-hand silver had me as hour. There'd be a lot of people listening who would think I'd do anything to yes. have a second-hand silver head me as hour. Absolutely. We talked before that you know when I did my kickstart flute beginner book, I recorded all the tracks on your Trevor James TEDx flute. Yeah, it's the first silver-plated flute. Yeah. yeah, beginner flute, and yet you won't know. You don't know because it's a, it's a fabulous instrument. And uh, the, the only struggle I had was that it was closed G-sharp. So I had to really work very hard to remember what the fingerings were. But you've got to make sure that your flute is working, so it's in good condition, that you have it serviced regularly. And then keep saving. 
<laughs> if you're if you believe your flute is holding you back and ultimately it's you that's blowing it i would ask yourself do you do you really believe that you're holding it back or as you said earlier are you influenced by others having mega expensive flutes and thinking that that actually is going to make you sound better because that's not necessarily the case but if your flute is holding you back and the repairer you must always take guidance from a repairer who will know about pads if the the flute is padded very well then you should possibly look at changing the head joint because you can have a much more advanced head joint yep. on your flute and the head joint is the engine room you so are you're the record you know whatever interpretation comes from mm. you but that that head is where the the sound emanates from yeah. the most important part yeah. you know i wish i wish that our listeners could sometimes be a fly on the wall at the auditions for conservatoire because you hear so many so many players and just because they've got the highest most expensive top of the range instrument it doesn't mean they sound any better than some someone who comes up, uh, along with a, a silver plated you know mm. joe bloggs flute it's it doesn't work like that and the thing is we do notice what flutes people are playing because it's it's part we're interested in it you yeah. know i remember doing auditions for years with william bennett and he'd always go what are you playing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Wib was always yeah. into that wasn't always he? into that and just sort of you know it's just of great interest but it doesn't mean that you can't go places because you haven't got a top of the range flute so question you uh you sat on panels for many many years at the royal academy if you were aware that someone was playing on a a lesser model flute from a lesser brand but they are playing beautifully would your how would you work that into your your thinking would you say gosh the musicality of this person that is playing that or are you just looking at the whole and not bothered about what they're playing yeah well, we need, might need to put it on pause a minute now, JP, because the dog's barking. Oh, no, I'll, I'll keep going. I'll, I'll keep going. My dulcet tones. My, my, dos, my dulcet tones are for the listeners only. Hello there. You're back. <laughs> You're back. Oh, you got the postman as well, I think. OK, I'll think I'll... I'll switch... Well, I won't switch off, actually. I'll just carry on talking. Badum 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 badum. Booby doo booby doo booby doo beedim beedim beedim. Well, that's that's the beauty of Amazon, isn't it? Hello, I can tell you've been outside. You're wet. <laughs> also, tell it's we're in December. You can always always tell that. Parcels, parcels, parcels. I've totally forgotten where we were. Oh, right, you're talking me about um, oh, yeah. the panel and listening to someone on a less advanced instrument. Yeah. No, the, the main thing is you listen to the player and you observe the fact that they are on not such a good instrument, yeah. but you're listening to the player and what they're doing with the music. And, but bizarrely, if you've got someone who's the other <laughs> end... She's having a drink, yeah, isn't she? having a drink yeah. now. Someone who doesn't sound very good, and yet they've got a top-end instrument. I think maybe I'm slightly more influenced by that. 
Yeah. And I think if you're playing gold, you can see gold a long way, can't you? If we you... don't often see gold at the auditions. Really? No. Maybe the odd one as a postgraduate. And C-foot or B-foot in the UK? Mm. Well, I don't know. It might be changing slightly, but mostly C-foot in the UK. Still. In the US, okay. B-foot, definitely. Yeah. So I think the answer to that question is make sure that your flute is well padded and has gone through a service because your Silverhead Miyazawa is actually a really good flute. Yeah. And if you really don't have the means and you have what, if you feel you have a lesser model, then perhaps look at investing in a handmade head joint or a head joint that will fit on your flute and will give you the added engine that you require. Mm. And push to become as good as you can on the instrument you have. Oh, indeed, yeah. You know, and, and if you have a chance to go to one of the, the specialist flute shops, then by all means, go and try some of the other flutes, but try first with your, the flute with a new flute with your head joint. Oh, yeah. Or your head joint on <laughs> a different flute so that you don't go straight to a completely different instrument. Oh, it's easy to get seduced in that, isn't it? Yeah. Certainly those flutes that are so easy that suddenly become really loud and wah. Yeah, so, sometimes you've really got to try and avoid that. I mean, it's very easy to be swayed by <laughs> a flute that just blows easily. Yeah. I remember Peter Lucas Graf always saying that he always picked a flute that made him work. We had to work really hard to get what he wanted from, from it. And I've heard other professional flute players say that they will always be on silver flutes because there's so much that silver flutes can do and that they can discover yeah. rather than just go to a gold flute, which gives you a different colour. It does. It's almost more openness with the gold and there seems to be a hell of a lot more sort of, not we say restriction, but a lot more... Oh, uh, postman. What, what oh, is it with dogs and postmen? I, I, I think it might have been someone walking by with another dog. Oh, you have that problem as well. Yes. Yes, so he's just saying, hello, how are you? Haven't seen you for a while. And Louis, Louis, he's wagging his tail. It must be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, so with, with silver, I always find there's, there's more to go searching for when you're playing silver. Gold, it's lovely playing gold. Again, I, I do find that more open. Platinum, I've, that's always scared me, so we won't go, that, we won't go down that Platinum way. gives you... A lot more options as well. I remember when I was trying to pick my, my flute and I tried gold flutes and they sounded absolutely wonderful but I couldn't do anything with that else with the sound. Mm -hmm. Whereas with platinum and silver, I found I could mould it and, and change it more easily. Well, I've been That's a whole other subject, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah. I've been honking on wood, wooden flutes the last few months and for me, they still want to be a tree. You know, they haven't settled down to knowing that they're flutes. They still <laughs> literally want to be a tree. So uh, I'm struggling with it. But oh, uh, I, I love wooden flutes. I love the way they, as they mature, they change. Yeah, that's probably when they become quite happy in themselves, isn't it? They sort of, okay, I'm a flute now. Yeah. I'm yeah. no longer. Oh, I think we'll call it a day, shall we, Claire? Yep. And, uh, well, thank you for that. I think next time we get together, it is for it's Christmas edition. Gosh. Goodness. Christmas. Yet another Christmas. I think this is our seventh... It'll be our seventh Christmas. <laughs> Talking flutes. Wow. Oh, that makes me feel old. Yeah. I can assure you, listeners, TV was in colour when I was growing up. I think just. <laughs> I think just. I'm not going to go there, JP. <laughs> anyway, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you very much again. 
That's my pleasure. Sorry for the interruptions. Oh, no, we, we like the interruptions. Dogs and post. And I, I did forget a big shout out to our, our sponsors, which are TJ Flutes. You can follow them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Facebook on Trevor James Flutes, and on the web at tjflutes.com. Lovely to see you, Claire. And you, JP. Take care. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.